right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Got an interview coming shortly with old friend of the pod, Zach Blair. This interview is part of uh, the Schwab Challenger Series we've talked a lot about. You can go to schwabgolf.com and check out uh, the profiles they do on a bunch of different challengers in the game of golf. They did a profile, of course, on Zach and his golf course project, The Tree Farm, uh, which we are going to talk in great detail about on this podcast episode, Schwab does a bunch of awesome stuff around the game of golf, promoting things like Zach and people that think outside the box and do things outside the box. And as the official investment firm of the PGA Tour, it is obvious they have both a passion for golf and investing. That is, of course, Schwab. And now through October 31st, when you make a qualifying net deposit of cash or securities into a Schwab taxable brokerage account, you can get up to six rounds of golf at top courses. The title is TSR Driver, dozen Pro V1 golf balls. We love it when the partners overlap like this one does. You can tee off at over 100 participating courses nationwide, including some of our favorites, Bandon Dunes, Sand Valley, Gearhart, Coeur d'Alene, TPC Sawgrass. For more details on Schwab's golf promotion and terms and conditions, please visit schwabgolf.com. Without any further delay, here's our interview with Zach Blair. So are you a professional golfer or are you a golf course developer? If you have to pick one, which one are you picking? Golfer, for sure. What's I mean, again, a question I feel like I can ask you once a month and still not fully understand the answer to this is like, how how is this how is the, this side project affecting your career in any way? I don't think it affects me at all. You know, it's kind of something that obviously took up a lot of time when I was out, which, you know, overlapped perfectly for that time. And now it's a, you know, something cool to do on my time off. And, you know, there's a lot of time to kill out on the road and, um, you know, it gives me something to look forward to for sure. I'm just always impressed. Every time I open up Instagram, I'm like, he's got kids, he's got a wife at home. He's got a full-time job. They travels for how, how does he get to the tree farm as much as he does? What is the, what is the travel? Like, what do you, what are your, like, what do you need to do uh, when you're out there on site or how often are you getting there? And, and what's kind of your role now in this going forward? Nothing crazy anymore. You know, they've, they've obviously got most of the golf course, you know, done and, you know, they're kind of tying up the edges and making it look good now. Um, and then the verticals are happening like the, the lodges and the, uh, clubhouse. So sometimes it's just looking at, you know, random things that are going on, whether it's the, the buildings or, you know, they were, they were putting in some paths like maintenance paths throughout the summer and, you know, grassing a few areas and ditches and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's really just, loose end type stuff at this point, but I'm still kind of the, the person that does all the membership stuff, you know, so sometimes I'm out there playing with prospective members. Um, and you know, my, my role is president of the club, president of the club. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I do a lot and, you know, kind of do nothing. I should, I guess I should have started with this, but I mean, if, if, uh, in case you're a listener that has no idea what we're talking about, where, where is this? What is this? What, what, what did you do and take us through kind of how your injury kind of played a role in that and allowed, gave you the time to kind of tackle it. Yeah. So this is, you know, the tree farm, which is just outside of Aiken, South Carolina. You know, we built this golf course, this golf club, you know, started it in 2020 is when, uh, we bought the property. So I tore my labrum. 
I think it was fall of 2019. I had played like uh, maybe two or three events that fall season on tour. And I was actually, I was in Augusta at Augusta Country Club getting ready to go to Bermuda, I think. And, you know, my shoulder was just like, it, it just didn't feel right. Um, and so I, I ended up withdrawing and heading home and getting, you know, getting it checked out. And, you know, sure enough, there were a couple of tears in my right shoulder. So it was basically like, hey, you can keep golfing, but it's going to become, you know, more of a problem or you can kind of bite the bullet and, you know, get surgery and you're probably going to be out a year, you know, until you're playing kind of professional golf again. So, um, we had, we had just kind of bought the property. So maybe I've got the time, maybe I've got the year one off. I'm not, who could uh, say last few years are a blur, man. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think I'm actually right. I think, I think that's right. So got surgery kind of towards the end of that, you know, end of the year in 2019 and really was kind of, you know, not golfing, obviously couldn't play for, you know, six or seven months, I guess it was. So I was really just kind of like stuck at home, just doing nothing. It was all, it was our uh, COVID year as well around that time too. So it was like this kind of crazy time where nothing was really going on and um, I had the shoulder surgery and everything. And I was going to say, I got, I got you at 23 starts in 2020 and four in 21. So this would have been fall of 20 that, uh, that you, that you uh, went under with the surgery, right? Okay. There it is. Yeah. 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 So had just bought the property uh, that, that August, I actually bought it on my birthday in uh, 2020. So then I had, you know, had my card that year, had played three events in the fall of 2020, maybe. And four events in the fall 2020 and, uh, you know, tore my shoulder. So had to go get surgery and everything like that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of crazy cause obviously wasn't golfing. So needed to find kind of something to do and it, you know, kind of aligned perfectly. And it was, it was really kind of like a blessing in disguise for me. Cause it was obviously, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. Um, I wasn't thinking that it was going to be like, oh, this will just kind of take care of itself. But, you know, not having to travel, you know, 30 weeks that next year, you know, that fall and the next year, at least let me kind of pay more attention to the whole development of the place and be pretty involved in, you know, the design and the membership and all of that stuff. So it's, it's been a wild ride for sure, but it's been cool to see people out there playing now. Again, I feel a little silly kind of doing any explainer on this because you've been on the show a bunch of times and I'm sure a lot of people are, are really uh, are, are quite aware of it. But if you're not aware of it, like you, this was a dream of yours going back many, many years. And there was a, uh, a club you created called the Buck Club, which uh, was a club before it was even a golf course. The best golf club I've ever been a part of that didn't have a golf course, that's for sure, <laughs> uh, which was your plan was to build this course in, in Utah. You had land kind of in process and that, that project ended up falling apart for a variety of reasons. And then this land kind of you stumble upon this land and end up developing this golf course, which I've, it's, it's come with rave reviews and we'll, and we'll get to some of that. But I'm curious, how uh, how does this compare to the dream? Your dream was to create a really great golf club. Uh, how, do, how does what you've what you've built here compare to how you dreamt it? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously way cooler than I could have ever you know thought um, kind of 
the big curveball was, you know, it's in South Carolina, not Utah now. But Just down the road. <laughs> yeah, other than that, though, you know, it ended up being a you know way cooler property. I, I think we've ended up getting you know, uh, an unbelievable kind of membership involved. Uh, I think that's been a lot uh, of a smoother process with the location being kind of a little more East Coast uh, biased and, you know, not being kind of so remote in Utah. So, yeah, it's definitely been, you know, surpassed the dream for sure. And, um, you know, it's only going to continue to get better. So that's, that's the cool part. Take me through kind of what the process looked like. You know, you don't you don't buy the property and then uh, then build maintenance pads, which I think are two of the things that there's a little a few things that happen kind of in between <laughs> here, of you know permitting and what goes into building getting a construction crew and you end up getting some help with the routing and, and all this. I know it's a story you've told a bunch of times, but kind of take us through what, what that process looks like. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely was pretty wild. Um, you know, you had mentioned was trying to do TBC out in Utah, obviously pretty well documented that, um, you know, King Collins was um, very involved in that whole process with me. And um, so when that kind of got put on hold and then we bought the South Carolina property, it was kind of this, you know, weird dynamic of like, is this TBC? Is this something different? There was definitely a period where it was kind of unknown. And, um, you know, Rob and Tad had been out to that site after we, um, we might've had it under contract or something. And so then, you know, that was really the start of trying to figure out like, what is this, is this something different? So once the group of people that, you know, was involved in, at that point in buying the property, me and a couple of friends, um, it, it was kind of like, okay, this is something different. This isn't going to be TBC. So is it going to be Rob and Tad doing the golf course or is it going to be someone else? And that was really kind of where it, it got kind of, you know, a little bit weird of a lot of people on the outside for sure. This was kind of before Rob and Tad had done anything besides Sweetens was like, how are you going to raise, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars to do this project with, you know, someone, you know, a group that had kind of only done a nine hole golf course, um, that maybe a lot of people in, in the space we were looking, haven't even heard of or something like that. So that, that's when I had the, the really kind of like tough conversation with them of being like, Hey, we're going to kind of go a different direction and at least, you know, talk to a few other people, about helping out with, with the whole construction process and everything like that. So that was kind of, that, that was a pretty tough moment for sure, especially cause I felt like me and Rob were really close and, you know, talked basically like every day. Um, and so after that conversation, it was kind of like, okay, who's gonna, you know, who are we going to get to do this? And that's, uh, when I had right around the time I had been introduced and met Kai Golby, um, who's worked for Tom and worked for Gil Hance and, you know, been involved and helped shape kind of like a lot of the best golf courses uh, around the world. Um, so he was kind of the person that I kind of keyed in on and was like, okay, this is, this kind of makes sense. You know, he's, uh, done this before, been around the block and we brought him on board to kind of help out. And he was the one who, you know, was kind of like, Hey, we should have Tom Doak at least look at the routing and, you know, 
tell us what he thinks. Like he's the best in the world at that. Um, and he loves this stuff. And I think he would certainly be interested in helping out at that point, um, in that phase. So that's when I called Tom and I had, I had never met Tom or anything like that, but, you know, reached out to him and was just like, Hey, any interest in this? And he was kind of like, you know, what do you want me to do? And I was like, well, what, what are the options basically? (laughs) Again, I've never done any of this. And he kind of laid it out pretty simple. Like I can, you know, look at the routing that you guys have kind of put together and give you some pointers and I could, uh, you know, put a few holes on paper or I could just like do the whole thing. And, you know, for me, it was kind of a pretty easy choice, you know, of having, you know, arguably the greatest golf course router that's alive, you know, do the routing, you know, that, that made a lot of sense to me. And that was really when, you know, the whole idea and the whole development of the place kind of picked up a lot of steam, you know, having his name, you know, in our corner kind of helping out with that, you know, meant a lot. So that was a, that was a really cool moment for us for sure. And then, um, yeah, you know, I don't even know where I'm going with any of this, I guess. Let's let's stop on that then. Because what is, what is, so Tom Doak does the routing. You had done a previous routing. How do the two compare? What, what did you end up going with? What did you learn from him in that process? Kind of take me through, like you call him the best router that's alive. What, why is that for somebody that doesn't uh, work in the golf architecture business? Uh, I, I think just, you know, it's pretty well noted. Like that's, that, that's a very strong characteristic of his, you know, credentials, I guess, you know, he, he's re- he's been involved in, um, you know, you can kind of go down the list of, you know, some of the best modern courses that have been built in the last, however many 20 years or something. And, you know, he's, he's probably involved in, you know, a, a big percentage of those. Um, and he talks about it a lot. You know, he's come out with a book in the last handful of years and getting to 18 or whatever about routing golf courses. And, um, you know, if you, if you talk to Bill core and, you know, Gil Hans and all those people, I'm sure that they would, you know, at least kind of tip the hat to him and saying that, you know, he's really good at that part of the process. So, um, I had done a few routings, a few, a lot actually, you know, and again, I've seen your very, book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had never built a golf course before, um, but had been trying. And so I, I, I definitely knew that I didn't know everything, but I felt like I, I knew a little bit. Um, so when we brought him on board, he didn't want to see kind of anything that I had done. Cause you know, he didn't want any kind of preconceived ideas going in that, um, you know, would lead him certain ways that he thought I might want to go. Um, and I just kind of gave him, uh, you know, complete freedom to just do whatever, whether it was super quirky or, you know, there's no rules basically. I just want it to be as best as, you know, the best kind of version it could be. And definitely learned a lot just from, you know, the snapshots he would send me and the ways he was going. And, uh, you know, I, I always would do the routing kind of based on, some of the topography and I wouldn't really think about the green as uh, I would just be like, Oh, we could build something cool there. You know, like that's, that's how I thought it kind of went. And I I really learned from him and Kai that it's kind of the opposite, right? You're kind of finding cool green sites and then working back from there, you know, how do we get to this green site? And so it was just cool to see that. And there were definitely some similarities, uh, in some green sites in kind of my final routing and the one we ended up going with. And I think those were like 
pretty obvious places that if you you know knew how to read a topo map you know it's like oh this this could be a cool green site so that was where the similarities kind of started and stopped um he went about it uh, you know obviously a much better way with somebody that's more experienced and mine was you know going straight up and over like big elevation changes and i think it would have been really really cool but it would have been a pretty taxing journey from one to 18 where his is a lot you know more mellow but you still get the the really cool visuals of the uh, elevation changes and the topography out on the site so yeah really cool to kind of be a part of that whole process and just you know help out in the little ways that i did what what is how would you describe kind of the style of the course right i mean uh, you've traveled far and wide you've seen a, a million different golf courses you've you've noted a bunch of different things i've watched you geek out in person over certain th- certain quirks and fun things you find and i think you are you are kind of in the same way that a lot of us are like really uh engaged by quirks of golf courses and stuff that breaks the mold and not just uh, two fairway bunkers on the left and one fairway bunker on the right with a little dog leg design. And that, that's not what we're, I've not been to the tree farm, but that's not what we're going to find there. So well, what, how would you describe kind of the, the philosophy behind the course? The only thing like we tried to accomplish building the place was to build a fun golf course. So, you know, it's, it's not crazy hard, you know, it's pretty generous off the tee, pretty big fairways. And there's not a lot of fairway bunkers. We really kind of leaned into, Hey, let's let the, let's let the topography and the site itself kind of be the hazards, you know, not, not so much trying to over bunker the place. Um, and that was one thing that Kai cause Tom, Tom's job was to route the course and then it was going to be, you know, me and Kai building it. So, you know, Tom stick routed the place and really wasn't like, Hey, let's put a bunker here and put a bunker here. It was just like, here's, where one's going to be, here's where two is going to be type thing. So I really kind of leaned on Kai uh, a bunch with that part of the design of, you know, hey, this place needs to be fun. A lot of different levels of players are going to play here. And we want it to be really interesting for good players, but also like let a high handicapper at least come out and enjoy it. So I think there are a ton of characteristics from a bunch of different styles of golf courses and just different aesthetics and feels, um, kind of all over the place, but, you know, anytime you get kind of comparing, you know, places, people are going to kind of take it out of context, but, you know, it certainly has areas out there that feel like Pine Valley and Augusta national and, you know, some cool places out in the, uh, like London Heathland, that's the type of property that it is. And that's the type of scale that it has. Um, so it was obviously neat kind of having that canvas to, you know, work with. Wow. Zach Blair calls it better than Augusta national, better than Pine Valley and better than all of the Heathland golf courses combined. That's yeah, quote. That's cool. End print quote. End quote. Print that. Print <laughs> How far is it from Augusta national? Uh, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, just kind of so. just straight East on I 20. So it's not, a, I mean, to, to your point, it's not an exaggeration to say like the setting is is quite similar and the the trees and the topography and the and the soil, I assume. I mean, you've got a uh, soil is, I imagine, a very important thing. If I if I recall, that was an issue that uh, at least one issue that came with not developing the Buck Club out in Utah was uh, getting the soil to match the 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 ground game and the, and the kind of golf that you'd like to promote. How, what is the kind of soil that you needed to find? And was that what kind of convinced you that this site was the site? Yeah, definitely. Like you described, you know, in Utah, I would have had to just 
sand cap the whole thing and bring in a bunch of material. And, you know, this site definitely has some sandy spots up on the ridges, um, you know, which kind of lends itself to just, you know, being a lot more practical to build a, a good golf course without having to manipulate a lot of stuff. Um, it's not as sandy as, you know, certain places. Um, you know, it's not just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet of of feet of sand, but it's good enough. And, you know, was the type of place that it worked well to build golf, um, which, you know, that was the whole goal. And, and like you said, you know, it's in the same kind of geological, region as as those courses you know the i don't know if it's like the you know carolina's like sand belt you know that goes down and you see like a lot of really cool places you know along that strip um and you know that just i don't know why or the rhyme or reason of of, you know why it is like that but it, it was it was a cool unique property that you know that was the whole reason we decided to build there a quick break here to check in with our friends at Roback. You guys know Roback. You see us wearing them in pretty much every video or every podcast that we do. Only one way to describe them. Best fit, best feel. Look, I've been posting some selfies on Instagram uh, using my child in advertising, somewhat advertising, wearing Roback hoodies. I'm not ashamed of it at all. All right. She's got to go to college. All right. But she finds the Roback hoodies to be extremely comfortable because I wear them every morning and she takes a nap on me every single morning. Uh, she struggles to get to sleep, honestly, when I'm not wearing a Roback hoodie. That's actually not a lie. It sounds like one, but it's not. Their performance polos are fantastic. They hit different. They've got a classic solid and striped look, USA theme. They got all kinds of awesome, cool designs. They got four way stretch, moisture wicking fabric. They get you through a warm summer day or great to wear underneath a uh, one of their performance Q-zips, which are also a game changer. Nothing beats rocking a Roback Q-zip for a fall round of golf, and it is officially fall. And of course, the performance hoodies, the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf, uh, cannot go anywhere without seeing these hoodies. And uh, I think I have 12 different variations of them now. It's still not enough because I'm wearing them every single day. So uh, you can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Let's get back to Zach Blair. Did the golf course get built faster than you thought it would initially? I mean, that to me, it's kind of like, wow, they're already playing golf out there. And I know there's a lot of other things you guys are, are trying to get up and running and humming and, and, and construction and all that is still going on on the, the kind of stuff that surrounds the golf. But golf is up and running, huh? Yeah. So we bought the property, like I said, in August 2020. Kind of had all the permitting and everything taking place over the next you know, eight to 10 months kind of did the clearing in the summer of 2021. And then I think it was like the day before Halloween in 21 that the first dozer kind of came onto property, uh, you know, for Kai to start, you know, pushing dirt around. So we were mostly done with all the shaping and like grassing it the next summer, um, you know, in summer of 2022 uh, and had it all kind of grassed and, you know, seeded and everything like that. And uh, we were playing like playing golf the next year, you know, in 2022 in the fall, which, which, yeah, it was pretty crazy, but that's like, you know, summer, like hot, hot weather, Bermuda grass is like a little different than you, when you have a whole 12 month, like growing cycle realistically for like some sorts of grasses to be growing, you know, it definitely helps. How does, 
are you like what, the, are you the construction manager while it's all going on? Like who manages the <laughs> building of the course? I got the fundraising part. I still want to get an understanding of, but like who is who is the on site? Like uh, you know what all happens before that first dozer hits the ground? Yeah, so we have like a project manager that you know was responsible for doing a lot of the permitting and um you know lining things up from a contracting standpoint for you know getting the trees cleared and you know you hire a, a like a timber company to come in and basically you know they clear the trees take them away and cut you a check for you know what they're worth or whatever um so he's you know kind of the person responsible for all of those sort of things and then you know Kai's kind of in charge of the golf. Right. So he's, uh, I don't know who falls under kind of what umbrella, but, uh, definitely not, definitely not me. You know, it's kind of, uh, way over my head. But are you the, are you in charge of, of fundraising? Like, how do you, how did you go about getting the money? Well, how much money did you get to kind of get the project running and how does it compare? I mean, for somebody that's not done this, how do you know what it's going to cost uh, on these things in my experience, which is almost none, but from listening to stories, it sounds like they never are cheaper than you expect them to be. Almost everything yeah. goes up over time, but how, well, what, what was that like? Yeah. So, you know, we had a handful of people that uh, you know, had in some form or fashion kind of been involved in golf development, uh, previous golf developments. Um, you know, so really you're kind of doing your, your best guess of what certain things are going to cost, you know, the golf course, the maintenance facility, the, the clubhouse, the cabins, the, you know, the irrigation pond, the roads, all of that stuff, you know, you're kind of going line by line of, you know, this is how much we think this is going to be. And, you know, like you said, it's hardly ever cheaper than, than you expect. And we were kind of doing this at a very weird time. You obviously kind of had like hyperinflation from COVID, but you also had like the golf boom from COVID. So it was like, you had a ton of people very interested in being involved in, in a new development because there wasn't a lot of new stuff going on around that time. But then you also saw the the negative side of it of like, holy shit, like everything is doubled, right? Like, oh, we thought, you know, we thought gas was going to be this for the machines and it's double. We thought trucking and, you know, delivery prices, you know, for shipping stuff was going to be this doubled anything I, I think like the the irrigation like the pump station it was like we got the last one in the country at one point and then they were going to have to like they were going to be eight months you know back ordered or something so it was just a really really weird time of um you know trying to figure all that stuff out so I, you know me and a handful of people were kind of on the development team of all of you know what you just kind of said of fundraising you know, trying to, you know, get the budgets in place and everything like that. It was kind of wild, definitely learned on the fly. And, you know, definitely some things kind of wish I had a little bit of a do over on, but you know, the golf course turned out awesome. And, you know, that was kind of the, the crown jewel of the whole project. Well, I mean, the, the important thing I imagine to you is the, is the golf course, right. And getting that right and all that. And, but then there's also, yeah, like you said, there's the, uh, Tell me, tell us about it. The clubhouse is currently under construction. Kind of, how do you get a hospitality operation up and running? How do you? Uh, I assume there's a caddy program there. How do you? How do you find like uh, you know people to run the caddy program and to find the caddies? And it's a, a seasonal club, if I understand right. So, how, talk yeah. to me about some of those challenges. Yeah. So uh, again, kind of 
getting some professional people in place, you know, whether it's your GM or your head pro, um, Nick Roth was our superintendent. He was kind of our first hire and he was, you know, around from all of construction of the golf course, basically, you know, still there now. And, you know, big, big shout out to him. He, you know, grinded his butt off and continues to grind his butt off to get the golf course where it is. And that's been really cool. And then Drew King, um, was our, is our head golf professional. He was kind of the next hire and, you know, he, he was certainly involved in kind of, you know, getting a caddy master and getting the golf operation in a place to where we could kind of, you know, at least have people out there playing golf and, and doing that whole sort of thing. And then, uh, Eric Dietz, our general manager, um, you know, was, I think it was about last year around this time that we've kind of brought him on board and he's obviously been, you know, the kind of man behind the curtain kind of pulling all the strings of, getting the rest of the operation kind of dialed in, you know, kind of overseeing a lot of the vertical construction and, you know, getting the place, you know, trying to get the permits lined up for the food and beverage. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people just don't really think is going on because you just kind of usually show up when the whole place is done and the clubhouse is built and, you know, you're, Oh, we're playing golf and having lunch, but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of blocks that have to be kind of laid out, you know, prior to that actually going on. Yeah. That's what, I mean, so how does it, how do you go about like hiring people again? Does this, how does it, do you have like founding members? Is that kind of the way of, of, uh, of getting the, filling up the initial coffers to be able to pay people to do, to do this and all the, what, like, what is the upfront cost, cost of doing something like this? Yeah. So we got a group of founding members, initial, like very early kind of couple of uh, group of friends to, to buy the land. And then there was, you know, then you're like, Oh, we have a, you know, 500 acre piece of property that has trees on it. Like this, this is what it could be. Right. And then, you know, you get the plan in place of, okay, this is kind of what our plans for developing the, the golf course and the club are. And you kind of take that plan out and, you know, went to a, a group of people and found the group of, you know, founding members. And we have 70 of those. Um, <clears throat> and that was a super interesting process and really cool to meet a bunch of people that were, you know, willing to kind of put their money where their mouth is and get involved in something that is nothing, right? Something that, hey, Zach Blair has this dream of building this really cool golf course in, you know, rural South Carolina. And I'm going to go ride around on a UTV and he's going to tell me like, you know, where the 17th hole is going to be built, you know, through this, you know, forest. Um, so it was, you know, thankful for that whole group of people that, you know, believed in the vision enough to get on board at that point. And, and that, you know, that, uh, money was, you know, used to, build the golf course. And like you said, make those kind of, uh, initial hires and, you know, take care of the golf course to that point. And then, um, you know, it, the, the whole club as a whole is, is pretty unique in a sense of every single person is involved, I think in like such a different capacity than a normal club, because, there's not a billionaire that's, you know, building the place. There's not a real estate aspect that is, is really kind of the, the gas to fund everything. It's, it's basically been, you know, getting members to buy in and knowing that, you know, their money's being used to build 
you know, a golf course and a cabin and a clubhouse and, you know, take care of the golf course and everything like that. So that was always the idea from, you know, day one was to do it like super old school. And, you know, I, I remember like reading this letter that CB McDonald wrote somebody about like when they were going to build national golf links of America and like saying, Hey, we're going to go find 150 people to all put in, you know, a thousand dollars or, you know, $750 or whatever it was. And, you know, we're going to go build this place. And it was like, Oh wow, we should try that. You know? And I will tell you, there is definitely a reason why most more people don't try it, uh, you know, in today's day and age, but you know, we've done an awesome job of making it work. And, um, you know, got to this point, which has been really cool. What is, uh, what, what is membership like now? I mean, what's the, uh, what's the goal for number of members? Where are you at? Is it, uh, is what's the interest level? Like what kind of, where do, are, are most people kind of traveling from? Is, uh, is it, it, you know, is it a remote kind of a national club or a travel place or do you have a lot of local members? I know it's a lot of questions. Phil would have hated that. It's too many questions <laughs> at once, but I'm, I'm so curious about it all. Yeah. So right now we have, you know, right around 300 members. Um, you know, the, the idea is to be maybe just north of 350, right around 350 uh, sometime next summer. You know, the interest level has been awesome throughout the whole kind of from the start till now. Um, and it's really just been like a very grassroots effort of you know, finding it was initially kind of one level of separation, right? It was like me talking to my friends or the other handful of people that were on the development team talking to their friends and, you know, getting that group to kind of buy in and be a part of it. And then, you know, two levels of separation, that next group kind of has a couple of people that they think, oh man, you know, so-and-so I think would love something like this. Can I put him in touch with you? Um, and it's really just kind of like snowballed from there. And, you know, people see it on Instagram or people see it on the, the no laying up podcasts or people see it on, you know, the Schwab commercial that they did, like, you know, so it, it's definitely out there and in, uh, in a lot of different um, spaces. Uh, but, but really it has just kind of been this super, you know, grassroots effort of, of me and a bunch of friends kind of getting other people that love golf, um, you know, to, 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 to join the place. This is a, maybe my my favorite part uh, to ask you about because, again, like I said, I've seen you do it in person. I've watched you sketch it in person, uh, kind of taking all these influences and, and watch kind of your brain work when you go somewhere to see see cool things and, and kind of have it contribute towards your dream of building something. What's something specific that you've taken from a certain hole or a certain place you've seen that you're like, ah, I want to emulate this on this tee box or this shot from this fairway or this green, this little slope here reminds me of blah, blah, blah. There's got to be something that's like, that has driven a specific uh, image or something that has played out in this dream that you've built? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, I mean, the, I would say the easiest one, you know, to pinpoint would probably be, you know, the 18th hole kind of loosely modeled after North Barrick, the 18th hole was, that was the only kind of thing that I gave Tom like any sort of direction to, I'm like, Hey, the 18th hole has to be drivable. Hmm. You know, I want it to be, you know, that's one of my favorite things ever is getting up to the 18th tee at North Barrick and, and every single person getting on the tee, like realistically thinking like, man, I could make a two and make an Eagle here to finish my round. So that, that was, you know, that was something that I was super keen on um, doing. And I, I think in his like first variation, like 
the 18th hole was like 345 down the hill. And I was like, Tom, like who, like who do you think is, like, who's driving? Like, so I want it like 240. So, you know, from the normal tees, it plays like 265 right now. So, you know, like a lot, uh, 90% of the people step up to that tee and they're like, Oh, I can, I can make it too. We've had two hole in ones on it actually. Wow. Um, since, you know, since we've been open, which is crazy to think and so awesome. And, you know, hopefully that trend kind of continues. So it's been cool, but you know, there's like the 15th hole is like a Redan, you know, so you obviously see the similarities in that, but, um, there's, you know, the T markers are like modeled after pine valleys. I thought that was something that I always thought was cool, but you know, there's a ton of little, little things that can kindly be loosely traced back to things that I've liked. Um, you know, cause I've got a very long list of, Oh, yeah, that's what I did for like three or four or five years was just go to places and see what makes them great. And um, I, I think maybe the most, uh, the one that I'm maybe most proud of, um, you know, has nothing to do with golf, um, you know, and everything to do with just the experience itself is, you know, just the whole atmosphere and the whole vibe that the the staff kind of brings, you know, day in and day out. And, you know, that kind of starts with, I think a little bit of me, how I wanted it, but certainly Drew and his whole staff and, you know, you know, everyone kind of involved on that side of it, you know, does a really good job, I think, of, of making people feel like, you know, trying to make it special and making it um, a, a cool place and somewhere that they want to be hanging out. I've got some of TC's notes about some of the holes here, so I'm going to grill you on, on a couple of these. But he, he mentioned the, the, the fifth hole, a short uh, two-shot par four. It's got these bricks that prevent you from putting short right of the green. That's an ode to rye, I believe he said. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that that's a good one. That, that see, yeah, that I, yeah, okay, that that's a really good one. Um, I, I should have thought about that one. Yeah. So right before we started construction me and Kai and a handful of people on the team went over to England, you know, to, to play some golf. And, you know, it was really specifically for me to go see a bunch of these Heathland courses because I thought that the property reminded me of that. Uh, but we did make our way out to, uh, you know, the East coast and, um, played rye and they have those things there called the rye brows. Um, and I think they're wood there, they're not bricks, but, um, our property has kind of, ties back to, you know, the Maryland, uh, brick, you know, brick company and stuff like that. So we thought it would be a cool touch, but we, we call them Kai brows cause, cause Kai built them. <laughs> I love that. And then, uh, the, the fourth hole, par three, similar to number five at Pine Valley. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Another good. Yeah. Yep. That's another I good one. For sure. If you want, if yeah, you, if you want yeah. to. no, he's good. Yeah. He picked up on those. Those are nice. Yeah. So, uh, Another cool kind of story, you know, in the whole process was before Tom got involved, he kind of asked if I would write him a letter of just, you know, what I was looking for, what the goals were, some places, some courses that I liked, you know, some holes that I thought really stood out as, as great holes. I had mentioned the fifth hole at Pine Valley, which I think is such a unique par three, I think, um, because of the kind of do or die nature of it. You know, you don't typically see a 230 yard hole that is that like specific on like, no, there's no bailout left. There's really not like a bailout anywhere on the hole because if you come up short, it's going to roll 20 yards back. It's kind of like, Hey, can you hit this wood 
or driver or whatever and knock it on this, you know, 5,000 square foot green basically. So I had mentioned like that was one of my favorite par threes. And in the first kind of like snippet of holes, he was kind of like, Hey, I've got a, I've got a spot that you could build kind of your own five at Pine Valley if you want. So, um, I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, we, we didn't try and copy it. I think from, from Kai's perspective, he was really, um, he, he didn't want to go into a lot of the template stuff, even though we did build the Rudan, he, he just didn't want to go and like, you know, make a complete copy of five at Pine Valley, even though we could have done a pretty good job. I think, um, you know, if we would have moved a bunch of earth and, you know, we could have built the exact same hole, but we wanted to make our own kind of variation of it. And I thought it, it turned out really cool. You didn't make you want to make a a tour eighteen a, a renditions uh, imitation course. That's next. No, that's next. We're gonna yeah. Uh, what else? So sixteen par five with a punch bowl green. Can you describe that one for us? Yeah, so that was one that in the uh, kind of routing, the the initial routing of the course, it was going to be a long par four that played down to this. You know, I thought it was an okay kind of green site. Tom liked it a lot, um, but I had spent a lot of time out there and we were kind of doing some of the clearing and like, you know, a hundred or two, you know, maybe 150 yards up and to the left of where we had the green site kind of planned out. There was this, you know, nice little bowl. And I, I kind of thought, Oh man, it would be cool if we made that hole go up there. And I don't think he was a super big fan of it. Um, you know, or he was kind of like, I, if I thought that was a better hole, I would have, you know, maybe I would have put it there myself or something like, you know, something along those lines, but we thought it was really cool. And, um, you know, I, I know, I know Kai is very, very proud of that green and I'm as proud of that green as any other green out there. Cause it's so much fun. And the whole goal of that, uh, you know, punch bowl or double punch bowl, whatever it is, it's kind of a, a two tiered punch bowl, but the, the clear directive to Kai was basically like, I want to build a punch bowl where you could literally use the bowl on any putt, any shot, any chip, whether it was a four footer from, you know, above the pin or below it or a chip from off the green. And he, a thousand percent accomplished that. And, you know, I'm sure some people have seen some of my chips and videos from that hole, but it's definitely a hole that people, you know, immediately call me after the round. If, you know, if they took advantage of doing something really crazy and fun there that, you know, really sticks with people. And, you know, again, that was the whole goal. How do you, uh, is drainage on a punch bowl green a challenge? Like I, I know Kai's got, Kai's got the experience. How do you get drainage uh, proper to work properly on a punch bowl green? Yeah. So this one, there's a, there's kind of like an opening in the front left where, you know, stuff kind of drains out that way. Um, and you know, we have a, there's kind of like a ditch, like way up to the top left that, you know, catches water before it gets onto the green. And there's kind of a, you know, some, some stuff to the back and the right that, that does the same, but it's a, it's a cool one because you can tell that it was just there. You know what I mean? It wasn't one of these ones where, you know, you see people kind of moving heaven and earth to make a punch bowl. And that's why I liked it. And that's why, you know, I initially had asked Kai and Tom and, Hey, what if we just went like up that way? This would be a pretty unique hole. That hole in itself is pretty special and unique in general, because it's a hole that you hit uphill twice and downhill once, but like big, you know, you hit up to the fairway, like 20 ish feet up the hill. And then you're a pro it's kind of like this double dog leg 
and then your approach, if you're laying up, you know, you hit like down to the bottom of the valley where Tom originally wanted the green. And then you kind of turn up to the left and go up, you know, another 10 or 15 feet up the hill. So I, I can't think of a ton of golf holes where you, you know, dramatically go uphill twice and downhill once. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a cool one. Did you learn a lot about drainage in the process of building this place? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was like, along with the routing process of like, Hey, where are we going to build, you know, where are the cool green sites? It was definitely like when you're shaping the greens, it's like, how are we moving water around? Uh, especially on a site like this. Cause when a property is just dead flat, there's a lot more things you can do and kind of get away with because when it rains, you know, the water just goes down right or or you know you catch it somewhere in a basin and you move it somewhere but it's you know it's not really volatile because it doesn't move it spreads out on, evenly in general yeah, on this the property. property there's huge valleys and huge there's a lot of movement and cool topography and it doesn't matter how sandy soil is you know if you have a 75 degree slope or 75% slope or like whatever, the water gets moving pretty fast. So you definitely had to pay attention on a lot of places of just, Hey, the water's coming from up here. How are we going to make sure it doesn't get in this bunker or go around this? You know, we got to get it around this green. So it was just pretty cool, you know, learning that stuff from Kai and he was, um, you know, I'll, I'll forever be thankful to him for just, letting me be involved in the whole process and educating me and like trying to help me understand, Hey, you know, I know you have this really cool idea to build this here, but like we can't, and it wasn't, we can't do it. It was, we can't do that because this, you know, this is going to happen. And if we do that, it won't work right. And it was like, Oh, okay. Like I never even, you know, that never even crossed my mind. And, you know, now I'm maybe a little smarter because of it. So he, he, he was great in the whole process. Understanding that the butt club design was designed for a specific property with specific ravines and green sites and all that. It's not something you can pick up and, and place somewhere else. Any holes or anything in particular that was a, a part of that original design that made it into uh, the tree farm in any way? Well, like the Redan and a punch bowl and like stuff like that was, you know, I was, I'm obviously a big CB McDonald, Seth Rayner fan. And, um, you know, when we were doing that whole thing out in Utah with Rob and Tad, you know, they, they kind of knew that and understood that too. And it, it was just, I, and I don't know if we just hadn't got to that point out there, but it was like, you know, I, I feel like their kind of whole design philosophy was just like, oh yeah, like we can build whatever you want. Like we can build cool stuff out of nothing where, you know, Tom and Kai and that whole school of design is like, Hey, let's go find cool stuff. Cause there's, you know, it's way easier and, and just way better and way more natural to, to do it. And, you know, I don't think either is right or wrong. They're both, you know, have their pros and cons. Um, but you know, there's, there are little things like that, that, you know, made, made their way, um, to, you know, both places, but, um, yeah. Any, any do-overs you wish you had or something that you wish somebody would have told you going in or something that did, somebody did tell you and you didn't listen anything like that? Um, like be a billionaire, uh, would be a big one. Like that would have been, it, I mean, it would have been nice to just be able to like do it all myself. Um, you know, that would have made things a lot easier and 
you kind of mentioned it earlier. It's like things never are as cheap as you think they are, right? If you're basing it off of something else. So, you know, I think just whatever we thought it was like, Hey, it's going to be way more than that. Instead of, I think there were certain times where we went into something with, you know, a very clear, Hey, this is what we're building. This is how big it's going to be. You know, maybe the builder was the same person and, you know, it was, it was, the timeline wasn't something that you would see like crazy inflation to make it more expensive. So we thought like very, you know, for sure that this is not going to be more than this much money. And then it was, you know, so, uh, you know, I think that was definitely something kind of, I would take going forward. And I I definitely feel like if I got to do this again, ever, you know, I would, I would do it a lot, um, you know, cleaner and um, maybe not make as many mistakes along the way. That was my next question. Is is there going to be more of these? Is this something that you you want to continue to do? Yeah, I mean, I hope I can do one. You know, in Utah, that's that's the whole goal. I don't think, you know, I don't I don't think it would kind of be like a private club in this capacity. You know, I think it would be, you know, more on the um, you know Sweetens Cove style public um, radar, just because that just works better out in Utah. Um, so I hope so. Are there, are there any plans for any kind of public access for people to the tree farm? Yeah. Yeah. So master's week, you know, that was, I think a big reason why we, um, chose that spot was, you know, I knew that the, the love for golf, the interest in golf and just the sea of golf sickos that kind of, you know, flock to that area of the world, you know, that, that 10 day period in April was, uh, you know, a huge bonus basically. So hopefully in the next handful of weeks, you know, we'll have the plan in place. And I think we're kind of going to unveil it towards the end of this year and early January, but, um, you know, definitely, definitely some stuff going on master's week for people to come out and check it out. It's pretty amazing that we can go 40 plus. You have a lot going on in your life. We can go 40 plus minutes talking and not talking about you finishing runner up in a designated event <laughs> this summer. Like it, 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 that, it all seems like such a blur. It's so funny to watch like, oh, Zach's at Tree Farm. And oh, my God, he's on the leaderboard at the Travelers right now. What? One more thing on the public side of it yeah. that I can that I can throw in there. So, you know, I, I've always been uh, a fan of kind of like the lottery system or the ballot at, at the old course. And that's obviously a completely different animal. Um, but I kind of tried it out this year, maybe like last month sometime. I, I saw that there was a day that I don't know if we had like a big cancellation of, of a member that was kind of bringing a bunch of people, but we had like a big opening that was like, Oh, I would be interested to see if, you know, I sent something out on Instagram about like a handful of, you know, slots opening up and I tried it and it was pretty crazy to see. So I definitely think, uh, that is something that I would like to try and implement, you know, every couple of months, you know, for someone, um, you know, to have the ability to do that. And then I've definitely uh, always liked the sand Hills, Tara Edie kind of write a letter thing once, you know, once in your life type of, Hey, I love golf. You know, here's why I want to come out and see it. And, you know, that's why we built the place. And I've mentioned that and been kind of on the record saying that is like, I totally understand we built this private club and, you know, it's for the membership and, you know, they were the people that, you know, have, have kind of put their money where their mouth is and wanted to be involved. But we, we also built the place for 
people to see it and for people to play golf and for people that love golf. So we do want to try and figure out a, a balance of that and, you know, getting, getting the opportunities for people to come see it that love golf. It's a, it's a massive, massive challenge, man. It's, it's, uh, you've, you've outlined all how expensive this all is to do and, and how much money you guys raised to, to get it done and all that. It's not, uh, it's really, really hard, uh, for, to pass that, pass that along at an affordable cost to the general public. Like it just, it totally, it really is. It's, you gotta have a benefactor of some kind. So I, I, I would, if I was you, I would go through that with that billionaire plan and, and, and power forward with that. So you <laughs> I'm can trying, build, yeah. Build yeah, more, good. more public spaces, but, uh, no, I, 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 I hear you. The, the Terry Eady thing and Sand Hills thing is pretty darn special. And, uh, it's, yeah, that, that goes all the way back five, six years. I think to you talk about that with the buck club of making sure people had, had an opportunity to see it if they, if they wanted to, but, um, talk to me about getting your golf game back in shape after a shoulder surgery. I mean, if I go a week without playing, I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll never play good golf again. Like, how do you go? How do you go nine months or whatever it was away from professional golf? And, uh, do do you wonder if it comes back? If do you, have, do you wonder if it's still going to be there when you get fired back up? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was, um, always kind of the scary kind of unknown of the whole thing, especially, you know, weighing whether I should get surgery or shouldn't, because I could definitely still golf and play. It was just more like, uh, it, you know, it was bothering me, you know? So, um, after the surgery and then when you come back, uh, you know, not playing for six or seven months from a person that plays multiple rounds of golf every single day of my life, um, was pretty insane. Um, my, I think my first round back, I, I actually went and played Augusta national and it was like a pretty cool, welcome back. And I played okay, but it was definitely like, man, you kind of suck though. Like, you know, like, uh, it was kind of scary for sure. And I thought I was going to be out like a, a year. Like I thought I would kind of start back up in the fall of the following season and kind of do those corn fairy finals and, you know, then head right back into Napa. And it was just like, I mean, the game wasn't even like close to where it, it should be to, you know, be playing against the best players in the world. More, more notably, like on a, like I could do it playing cart golf at my, you know, home course for a day, but it was like, Hey, I'm going to have to do this for four days in a row in a tournament, plus the practice rounds plus traveling and doing this multiple weeks in a row. And that was kind of the part where it was like, man, am I ever going to get back to where it, you know, my shoulder doesn't hurt or isn't sore after like five or six days consecutive of playing. And, you know, eventually it got to the point where, you know, I felt good about it and, um, you know, was able to come back and, uh, it, it's still been kind of a, you know, process though. What, how'd it feel like to get back in contention, especially in an event, uh, featuring the best players in the world with, uh, you had to be thinking about the money at some point on that uh, fact. I think we had you on the show that night. I think yeah. you admitted it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That event was crazy. You, you know, it, it was funny because I think it's pretty well like documented that I've, you know, used to travel around and play a lot of cool places or try to. Um, and I was fortunate to, you know, be able to do that kind of like prior to tournaments starting. 
And that was that week at Travelers was kind of the first time I had done that in a long time. And we went and played a bunch of cool places. And I remember kind of being on the phone with one of my friends uh, and kind of saying, like, I, I, I'm pretty pumped to, like, go play the tournament. You know what I mean? Like, I've had a really cool, like, five or, you know, four or five day stretch. But, like, I'm pretty pumped to go to TPC River Highlands and, like, play golf tomorrow. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to gonna play good for sure, but, like, I kind of think I might play pretty good. And, you know, went out and shot like 65, 65 and, um, was like, oh wow, that, you know, that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and then I played, you know, fine on Sunday or, or Saturday and, um, obviously caught the heater on the back nine on Sunday and, uh, you know, was definitely thinking about the money, um, you, you know, kind of, you know, at least for sure the last, like, four holes. And I think I told you guys on, you know, that, that night on the podcast or on the show, I was like telling the Russian, I was like, these are basically like million dollar putts the last like three holes. Like if we can find a way to make one, you know, we're going to have like a pretty nice week and, uh, we didn't make any, but you know, <laughs> cra crazy, you know, crazy stuff was happening for the groups behind me. And there was definitely like when Keegan hit the like fat iron on 16, I was kind of like, oh gosh, this like we might have to actually like go warm up, and you know, because seventeen is like you know for me at least is like kind of like a sneaky hard tee shot. So I was like, you never know, he could like hit one in the water, and you know he didn't obviously, and you know then he pulled one on eighteen and like you know hopped over the bunker and you know, whatever. But uh, it was it was a wild week for sure. What is so? What is your you were playing on medical last year? Is your medical done? I've lost track of this. Medical done, and you have full status back through your play in the last year. Update us on that. Yeah, so the whole medical process, uh, major medical extension, is like crazy. Uh, I've had my crazy stories about that this year. So I, how it all works is they basically take, you know, your average from like your last five seasons playing on tour. And then they compare that to the average amount of tournaments played for, uh, you know, the, the rest of your category. So I was in the top 125 the year that I got hurt. So it ended up being like, you know, 20, 28 events is what the average was. And I had already played four that, that my points were counting for that, that year that I got hurt. So they basically gave me, Hey, you have 24 starts to go make enough points to be in the top 125 of the year that you got hurt for the next year. Uh, you know, however, you know, you can make that make sense in your mind, you know? So it was like, I was, uh, I got hurt in the year that it was kind of like a super season type thing. So there was like two masters, two U S opens, you know, and there was like 58 tournaments. So it was like 357 points or, or something like that was like what I needed to make to reach my major medical. So in my mind, I thought that I have 24 events to go make 354 points. Cause I had like two points from the four events that I had played. So I was like, uh, that, that, that was all that I was really focused on. And I thought it was from Napa to Napa. So I, I didn't, I didn't realize that this part of the fall also counted towards it. So I was doing my whole schedule, like for those 24 events to get me to Wyndham. 
And then like halfway through the season or a little past halfway through the season, I was down in San Antonio and the, like the tour, one of the ladies from the tour, Hey, how's your medical going? Like, you know, you got, you got, you know, how many events, this many events left to get you to RSM. And I was like, what? To get me to RSM? I was like, I thought it was like to get me to, to Wyndham. And so I was like, I was pretty like, I was pretty nervous at that point. Cause I was like, I wouldn't have played like Zurich and I wouldn't have played. There were like a ton of events that it was like, well, you know, I, I gotta, you know, I only have this many, I got to play 24 times. So that was pretty crazy. But then, you know, obviously I had a couple good weeks and you know, the, the week at travelers was, um, you know, the one that really kind of opened the door for everything. But then on top of that, I also thought that it was like, hey, if you get to that many points, if I get 357, I have a card for next year. But that's not it either. You just get to play out the remainder of the season, which was through RSM out of the major medical. You still have to finish top 125 in the current season. So it's like everything is really kind of like, stacked against you in that sense but it's also like you know there's no other professional sport where they're just like hey you know you you know here's a chance to at least do it so that's nice that they do that but it was it's all been super confusing and you know a lot of moving parts but i you know i i got past the major medical and just you know got to finish out the rest of the season strong so you're 93rd in the fedex right now so you got to finish top 125 in that through the end of the fall series that's that's what's yeah applied. so it's like five events left yep you play them all then i'm gonna play this week and play japan and then kind of figure it out is it what, what does it look like mathematically for you just being in that 93rd have you had they run any scenarios with you to say here's what you got to earn are you looking pretty safe mathematically for it got to make some cuts what's what's your situation i had asked um at Wyndham kind of like what the you know because they always have the projections and what they think is kind of the fail safe number but this year was obviously a super unknown because the fall is completely different than it's ever been so you're you know you have a lot of people you know like 20 20 or 30 people I would say a week that typically play um you know but they they're not going to this year because you know they don't count towards next year. Um, so the, those kind of like higher ranked people are not playing. So I think it's a kind of a bit of a crapshoot, but the, when I talked to them at, um, Wyndham, they were kind of saying like five seventy five to five eighty was, was kind of their fail safe number. Um, so who knows I, I, this last week was the first time. Cause I, I'm like, I'm, I love like looking at all the numbers and keeping track of it because I have been a person that's finished one twenty six by like a half a point. So I like know how big, you know, the swings can be and everything like that. And this, this last week was the first time that it had moved like a significant amount, you know, like 125 was like 299 points. And then now it's like 336. And usually it moves like seven or 10 points a week. But, uh, this, this last week it was like 35. Who made the hole in one that cost you the 125? Was it Fabian Gomez? Do I remember that right? No, it was Martin Flores. Martin Flores made a hole in yeah. one to knock yeah. you out of a tour card. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can laugh about it now, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, that that was a crazy. You know, that was the. You know, that week of anything shows you how like it's not only your play, but it's also like what everyone else is doing that week affecting everyone around you. Um, and you know that was crazy. Uh, but yeah, 
we're we're past that. We're past that. So, <laughs> well, consider this my my open letter to uh, to request a, a one time appearance at the tree farm. I would love to come uh, love to come see it. But I wanted to congratulate you. One, first of all, thank you for your time. Tell us about it. But congratulate you. I know it's a, a years many years long dream that has come to come to fruition, and uh, I'm excited. To, I'm definitely excited to see it. And I've heard great things about it. So we appreciate your time and uh, and thanks for sharing your perspective. Yeah, thank you guys. Anytime. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 